Welcome to You Influence Podcast, where you will hear everything you need to learn how to be a man or woman of influence for the better in your personal and professional life, in business, at work, and in your social life. Becoming a person of positive influence has an invaluable effect in ways we cannot imagine, but can only be felt in personal fulfillment. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of You Influence. This is Rafael Mavi. I have a great uh, guest today on the show for you. As a matter of fact, um, I met her a few months ago when uh, we had uh, the, the, the pleasure of having her on the panel of discussion in front of about 30 to 40 business owners. And uh, she was one of the only three panelists discussing culture development. Uh, her name is uh, Courtney Sarney. She is out of New Jersey, I believe. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. And um, she's actually an assistant uh, vice president of culture, uh, overseeing and helping 2,000 staff members. And this is all across New York, New Jersey area, correct? Correct. Okay. And, uh, and there's a reason why I said just assistant VP of culture, not culture development, because I needed some clarity on this as well. And... Uh, so she, I'm going to let her uh, explain what the difference is, but then we'll get into the background and actually how you ended up being the Courtney Sarney you are today. <laughs> so really quick, because I understand we have people listening to this from different backgrounds, people that um, are working for a company, people that are looking to start their own business, uh, people that are successfully running their own businesses already, you know, and uh you and I both will agree that somebody who is just diving into the culture development of their team or looking to introduce that concept, um, they're looking at culture as culture development. It's an always developing process. So what is the difference between being an assistant VP of culture and or culture development? Well, I think, it, I mean, I think it goes, it goes hand in hand. I mean, as we discussed, we have a, a learning and development department. Uh, investors bank and a culture department so it is an ongoing process and and what i'm doing as the assistant vice president of culture is i'm going in and assessing the culture of individual departments in the bank to see and and make sure that they're aligning with what it is that we um would like them to align with in terms of our core mission and values Mm -hmm. And then the development, though, does come in. For example, if I am called into a specific department to then go in and assess their individual departmental culture, because we know that every department has its own environment that they function in. Right. So that is where the development comes in. But as it stands right now, we are the culture champions for Investors Bank. We are there to just assess, personally develop, encourage, bring hope and joy. and. Um, Whatever they need, Rafael, to be happy at work, we're going to be there for them. And it's interesting when um when I was introduced to you via email through another uh, mutual contact that we have, who actually happens to work uh, with your bank, right? Um, he, he was going to introduce me to somebody to represent your brand, but I was thinking more along the lines somebody from HR because usually that's the department everybody goes to when it comes to developing the right culture, leadership, and talking about retention of employees. And when I get an email from you as a reply, I see at the bottom your signature, culture department, right? And I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, what does that mean, culture department? Because I've never <laughs> seen a entity with a culture department. And how does it work with HR? So if somebody has a business, let's say they have 30 employees or 300, it doesn't matter. And they have a small HR department, whether it's one person or seven people. 
So what's the difference between what you're doing and the responsibilities of an HR person or department? Sure. So there's a lot of overlap. I just want to put that out there. We, you know, I walk side by side with HR on a lot of functions. I think the difference is, is when you have a, a business that is fortunate enough to have its own culture department, I can mainly focus my attention on the needs of the people while they're in the department in terms of personal development, growth. We can talk career pathing, and then when it gets to a certain point, I may pass them over to HR. But you're not going to see me really get involved in some of the other HR functions, talent acquisition, benefits, and comp. Mm -hmm. So, um, But again, you will see us sometimes partner closely and closely align when it comes to the education of uh, our people. I do see kind of out now, uh, when I look out and about at what's going on in many companies, they'll have a head of culture and people, or they'll have an HR and people function. So mm -hmm. I do see that HR is starting to kind of spread its wings a little bit into the culture um, arena. And I like that because there are times where HR gives people that, that even the term HR, they think it's only benefits, talent acquisition, or I'm going there if something's not good. Right. But um, they can, and they can really assist us uh, in the culture aspect with, you know, what's going on in the bank? I mean, I go right to the HR business partners and I say, you know, am I right on the money? Is this what you're hearing? Is that what you're hearing? Um, if I want to do an appreciation program, I check in with HR, you know, am I allowed to do this? You know, so we do work hand in hand, but if I, if a company could dedicate even one or two, a small department of people just to focus on the culture, I think it would be a huge benefit. I'm very blessed that investors bank has invested in that. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. There are a few things you just um, brought up, but I'm going to come back around uh, to those topics because I think it's, uh, they're very, very important. That's one of the reasons why um, I have you as a guest here because the whole concept and idea behind this podcast and all the episodes, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to anything you did. Okay. Um, and it's the you influence part, right? It, initially, I started off as an idea. I'm like, okay, well, it's, it's stemming from unplugged influence that's where i got the you from and then like okay if we're going to talk about the concepts for business owners how to influence not just the marketplace but starting from themselves and then taking care of their staff members and then that spills over into the clients and the entire marketplace well we can apply that same principle into individual development because as a human being you end up influencing other people and we all get influenced by someone or something all the time. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you here as a guest because of what we discussed um, uh, during the event, this was a few months, several months ago, right? Yeah. And, um, but before we get into all of that, as far as personal development and development of the staff and what you have going on and the principles you're applying, tactics that you're going through, um, tell us your background. Okay. Like what influenced you, let's say, between how, the development of Courtney Sarney uh, as, as a kid in school? Oh, I like that. So uh, growing up, my influence for me, I started right in the home. My father was a police officer and was a war veteran. So he was a servant leader right from the get-go. And so that was always, always pushed at home, serve others, serve others, serve others. So as I started in school, you know, joining clubs and act activities, even through high school, 
I was very pop, uh, big in the key club and the Kiwanis and really giving back. That was my goal was to serve. Uh, and how can I, how can I serve others? And I didn't know at the time that that's what I was doing. I just knew it felt good to volunteer and it felt good to help people. Um, I sought out mentors when I was young that in, um, encouraged me to do those same things, get out and, and do something other than what is only good for me. So when and, you said, when you say young, are we talking about like as a teenager or before even in teens? I'd say before teens, even when I was in middle school, uh, again, I, I sought out mentors that really fostered um, a love for getting out and doing something that benefited others than myself. And I think that that really shaped a lot of my kind of personal goals. Um, a, a particular memory I had was I was a, my father was the coach and I was a uh, co-coach of a, a baseball team for children with Down syndrome. And I remember being, you know, 13 out on the field with him every weekend and I had a blast. And in, and it was so easy to have fun and to serve others. So that um, even into high school uh, that influenced what I chose to do with my time. Um, it show, it influenced me going out to uh, attempt to be the captain of uh, I an athletic team that I was. I was a captain in a tennis team. I, it really, it influenced me, Raphael, through my whole career. Even as I got to college and graduate school, um, I was an RA, you know, so I was responsible for all these college kids in the dorm. And um, I received a master's degree from Rowan University. And I was able to get that by being a dorm director. So that was taking the next step in leadership. And they paid me to run buildings on the campus. And in return, they pay for my master's degree in full. So at a very young age, it was seek out, seek out, seek out ways to serve. And things started coming back to me uh, in turn, which is how the universe works. <laughs> we get back what we put out. Um, That's decided, interesting. So it's like yeah. a servant mentality all from the get-go. Right. And uh, it sounds like everything you've transitioned through you're like a natural born leader. You're looking for that <laughs> leadership role, but but what I'm hearing is not because you wanted to lead, but because you want you were focusing on others. So therefore, it by default puts you in a leadership role. That's exactly right. And I think now as an adult, I'm starting to learn that that's the only way to do it. When that is the root of your and and your desire to serve it automatically guides you into where you need to be. Um, we vision board at Investors Bank, and I, my first vision board, if you saw my first vision board, you would have seen <laughs> like a Range Rover, I think, was on it, and all of these things that I thought I wanted. A flash forward to, um, I did a, I added to the vision board and kind of, and fixed it up, and right in the middle, I have a big quote about, you know, serving others and getting back what you serve. And so that is even, you know, when I slip into kind of, what am I really here to do? I'm here to serve. And what does that look like? And what does that feel like? And people might say to me, you know, Courtney, not everybody is here to serve, but everybody's here to serve in some capacity. Even everybody in our bank, we're serving a customer or we're serving somebody who serves a customer. Absolutely. Talk about serving. You see the title of this? Yes. Leadership. Yeah. yeah leadership, I love it. Right. So that's his latest one. And, uh, John Maxwell talks a lot about focusing on others, serving others. Oh, he was a servant leader from the get-go. Yeah. 
you know, starting yeah. out with church, with, with, you know, leading and turning around the church, yeah. you know, and, and he had his calling from God to do that. And again, that with, with that intent and that kind of true heart and true spirit, you, you can't go wrong. It won't steer you wrong. If you're just setting out to lead because you want a title, I mean, that's you the number belong, one leadership, leadership no-no. <laughs> yeah, you don't belong there, absolutely. <laughs> but again, with you, it sounds like you just, even as a kid, you were focusing on serving others, and by osmosis, it puts you automatically in a leadership mm -hmm. position. 100%. Okay, so, so you got a master's degree, so you did graduate, um, and what did you major in? So my undergraduate was in health and exercise science. I was uh, setting out to become a teacher, which I did. Okay. My master's degree is, my first master's degree is in counseling in the educational setting. So that gave me the ability to either be a school counselor or to do college and career counseling and college and career planning um, it for uh, college age students. And then I taught for, I was an elementary school teacher teaching PE for probably five or six years. Um, and again, kind of started thinking, I was a leader and I was, and I was a leader in the school, but thinking, you know, what can I do? What can I get involved in? I went back to school and that's when I started focusing on um, organizational management and leadership. And um, so now I got a post master's 48 credit certificate and my principal certificate in New Jersey, which certified me to be a school principal. Then started um, be acting as a school principal in my elementary school. So I got to do that. I was, uh, I got to be the acting school principal and I, loved it and I realized what I loved though the most was being with the staff and and trying to understand this the school culture and what I can do to improve it and how can I make their lives better now and I don't know about New Jersey uh, school system but in New York City that is a tough nut to crack I mean it's everything is so systemized and they can't look left they can't look right and like the stuff that I went through with my older daughter in her elementary school, it was just insanity. Uh, the new principal came on board. Things started to get better because she was seeing what needed to be done. Mm. But because of the system 100%. that oversees the school itself, there's not much they could do. So I don't know how it was in New Jersey, uh, but, you know, focusing on development and you enjoying the time being spent with your staff were you able to affect them in a way or you were like, you know, handcuffed by the system? Well, I think you have to know which battles to pick and which not to. And I think you have to also know that you do have your own environment within your own doors. And it's the same thing in corporate America. There might be a greater, uh, say, school district culture or greater corporate culture, but you have to focus on what you have in front of you and who you have in front of you. So I was able to make changes and, and affect what was within my parameters. Um, one of the compliments I received from the staff was that they felt, they felt safe when I was in charge. And I thought to myself, that is fantastic. That's great. Um, certainly there were days when I wish I could do more, but I understood um, through trying to increase my influence, what I could do in the short term, what I could do in the long term, and what I would always be hamstrung with because certain things just exist certain systems just exist that i have to adhere to and it kept it, it it kept it in perspective for me i didn't find myself climbing as many mountains emotionally and mentally when i really focused on what i could do with what i had in front of me it's um 
what I'm finding very interesting, it's a pattern. Like (laughs) even all through school, even the major that you picked all three times were focused on service. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. Being a servant in one way or another, all three majors, different industries, but all focused on the service. So when I was... Um, they, they didn't focus on the income. That's what I'm trying to say. Not at all. They focused, <laughs> yeah, they focus on service. <laughs> they did. And, you know, my original intent was to be a police officer just like my father. And he vehemently, I mean, he was against it. And he said to me, please, pick something else, please. And I said, I, I think I belong out in, I belong out serving. I belong in uniform. I, this is where, this is my calling. And he was like, can your calling be something else? And uh, like any, I think like any kind of cautious parent would. So I did, I turned to being a teacher and I, I think I always knew I wanted to teach. And then, like you said, you know, the counseling came very natural to me to be with children and their families, counseling them as a school counselor, and then moving on to that role as a, as a principal and eventually finding my way to investors bank, which was a total change. So you went from a school system to corporate America and working uh, with investors bank overnight. Absolutely. I did. I, I dropped my, I submitted my resume and I interviewed and I had no idea what I was doing, Raphael. No, I mean, uh, they were asking me questions about corporate America and I was, I was intrigued. I had no idea. I mean, I was used to what I was used to for nine years, but just like anything else, that doesn't mean it's, it's right. You know, that was a safe Harbor and, right. And I was, um, I was intrigued by a company that was so interested in having a culture department and so interested in its people and, and what makes them productive and what makes them happy and what makes them stay and be loyal. That to me was fantastic. So did that already exist in their work environment or you were the first person to actually start that? It did exist. So it existed. Um, my position though was, was open and actually I I had given my resume out and someone said to me, Oh, I know somebody and. They work at a bank, and I said, um, no, thank you, because <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, banking, I mean, that's a stretch, but they said, no, there's an apartment, I think it would be for you, it's the culture department, and as it turns out, Raphael, that is a perfect marriage for me of everything I've learned um, and everything I want to focus on, but the challenge is so much greater, and I love it. It's, it's fantastic. So it gave you, well, clearly, it gave you the opportunity to grow more with what you were capable of than you would in the school system. I think so. And I, yes. And I think too, that it's challenging me to keep growing and to keep reading and to keep listening and watching. There is no, you know, there is no staying stagnant because there are people and there's, there's 2000 people depending on a culture to keep them engaged and to keep them happy, to keep them feeling like they matter and they belong. So that is a constant challenge for us but we're up to the task. That's great. Well, like I said before, I've never heard of a corporate entity having a culture department per se. Yes, companies that are interested in developing their culture, that's where you know myself and my company comes in, we, <laughs> we help them out. But having an internal culture department dedicated for that growth, to that growth, is like with investors, I've, this is the first time I've, I've heard of it. It's, yeah. it's invaluable. Yeah, they're, they're, doing something, they're doing something amazing. They really are. That's great. So um, earlier you mentioned personal development. You don't hear those words often. <laughs> Somebody who is working in a corporate environment. Sure. Because from our experience, it simply comes down to ROI. 
you know, a business owner, a company owner, decision maker, uh, HR, upper management, any C-level exec, when you start talking to them about developing their staff, it sounds a little different than talking about culture development. Mm. Now that's speaking their language. When you're talking about developing individuals, which is personal development, they don't want to hear it. And there are several reasons for that. The, the biggest reason is the lack of ROI. Like we can't measure the ROI. You know, if anybody listening to this, you don't know what ROI is, return on investment. You know, as a business owner, you want to understand how much you're getting back for every dollar you put, you invest, whether it's in a project, a thing, or a, a human capital. Um, and that's the number one objective. You know, we can't measure the ROI. It's the same thing when somebody says, well, we're not on social media because what's the ROI of us being on social media? The question is, well, what is the loss of you not being on social media? You can't tell. Same thing with doing something, <laughs> right? So and I look at it the same way from uh, investing in your team. You cannot measure the ROI, but you could definitely feel it. But at the end of the day, which is when you do your annual reports, you see your gross revenue. There's a clear day and night difference from when you were uh, engaged in personal development. And this is completely separate and different from professional development. Professional development, you know, you send your people to a training, you bring in-house speakers, you, you go through that process for them to become better at what they were hired to do. But when you want to start doing personal development, God forbid, it's like, oh, we have a book club. Or let's work on your whys, on your goal, and, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. Let's see how we can advance you, right, and help you. Most of them, they, not that they don't want to hear it, they cannot comprehend it enough to hear out the rest, to hear you out the, the, the rest <laughs> of the, uh, the reasoning. A hundred percent. There's so a fear how, there, too. There is a fear. So can I ask you how you guys uh, manage that and what is the purpose behind it? Uh, because, I mean, personal development goes a long way that goes into professional development. Sure. So we attack personal development in all sorts of ways. We do have book clubs. We have, you know, um, I have a, we have a whole book club um, format where I can go and, and I help departments pick the book. I help them choose who's going to be in the book club, things like that. We have personal development classes that our uh, chief culture officer is um, teaching. Those are 10-week in-person classes where chief, you're going. Chief culture officer? Yes. Yes, we have a chief culture officer, Dennis Budnick, and he is teaching personal development classes where people are going um, for 10 weeks in person. He and I actually just had the opportunity to teach um, an executive level course with the 90 executives, top executives of our bank. Personal development, leadership development. Like, like what? What kind of stuff? Oh, well, we did, it's basically, you know, we did um, the Fred Factor. We learned about that. We did business insights together. We met once a week for three hours a day. We learned about dynamic companies. We learned about dynamic leaders in the community. We learned about each other. We had mastermind groups that we uh, incorporated. So they met together in uh, classes of 25, uh, four days a week. We would do a class in that's for some people, that's the only time they've ever interacted. You know, if I'm in uh, business lending, uh, there's a good chance like I, I've never had to sit directly with maybe the uh, SVP of, I, of uh, IT directly and do a PowerPoint pro presentation with him. So um, we attack, we take it very seriously, personal development, because we know 
not only will it benefit our people at work, which it does, and you know and I know, studies are showing, you know, it's not comp and benefits that are, are keeping people at work. And exactly. I keep looking, Raphael, for a, a study that is going to put comp and benefits at the top. Just there's nothing. Nope. It is relationships. Yep. It is culture. It is feeling a sense of belonging. It's can I do volunteerism? So um, we know that it has a direct impact on productivity. And we know it has a direct impact on people at home. And then it starts to be cyclical. I'm better at home. I'm better at work. I feel better at work. I feel better at home. And investing in your people's personal development is just the right thing to do. And you will hear people, I'm sure, say, I don't have the time to send my people to get better. And you want to kind of scratch uh, on your their, on, their, on their dollar. On their dollar. And you, you know, as, as a culture, as culture people, sometimes I feel like, you know, we're on the outside looking in and I'm kind of like, you do have the time. Of course, I'm not in there with people all the time to see what their department is like. But I understand the return on investment. I understand, as you said, I might not be able to um, measure as closely like I would my quarterly goals, uh, sales goals, the return on investment for productivity. But you're going to see at the end of the year. Yeah. Your department is skyrocketed, and your people are happy and they're loyal. So, um, personal development for us is—it's huge, and it, again, it aligns right with the career pathing with human resource. Right? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be? What do you want to focus on? How do you feel? How would this make you feel? And then marrying that into helping people grow. So. That's very interesting. So let me ask you this. Just, I want to get some clarity because this is very, I mean, it's mind-boggling. A 10-week training with your chief culture officer, mm -hmm. right, leading the way. Yeah. It's a 10-week course, right, a 10-week process for your staff with your, your C-level, right? Executive level. Okay. Yep. Um, okay, executive level. And this is something that's done during work hours or are they getting yes. paid while they're going through training? It's expected that, yeah, they come to training once a week uh, for three hours. The uh -huh. schedule is set, and they come, and, and they um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So like I said, classes of 25, and they're sitting, and they're interacting together and learning together for that half a morning, and then they go back. So when you think about it, Raphael, they are setting the standard, and they are setting the learning culture, right? There's, they are coming. The CEO came to class, you know our president of the bank came to class every week with his notebook ready to learn and discuss. So when you see that as an employee, That's that huge. sends that message very clear. Education is paramount. Personal development is paramount here. And we want you to take the time to go do it because we're taking the time to go do it. Gives me chills. <laughs> I, I want to pick your brain on this now. <laughs> this is going to be very selfish. This is for me. All right. Um, how do we take that message? Because you and I both know that that's true. That's a fact. It's non-debatable. It's not arguable. Um, how do we take that and I don't want to use the word convince, mm -hmm. but educate more decision makers that that's important. That's not only important, that's crucial for survival and sustainability long term. It can be a really, really high mountain to climb. And that I think you've, I'm sure you face that. That is something that I think is, has to do with the magic of being in person when you're educating. Like if you can get your C-level people 
into a class talking and experiencing, that is a great start. If you could even get them into a book club, Raphael, because it, the thing is so much even personal development is being pushed online through webinars. So you could understand almost how some executives might be like, I don't, I don't really, you know, what's a webinar on leadership really going to do, right? So uh, we, I, I would, I kind of like to attack it two ways. Number one, I challenge people to experience it themselves. Doesn't have to be ten weeks. Could be three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. <clears throat> More than a workshop. This isn't offsite. This isn't, you know, I've talked about offsites. They're not bad. But this isn't just the let's do an offsite and all of a sudden everything is fine. That's not, not personal gonna development. It's that's not going to happen for one time exposure. That's an event, and right. it was great, and we loved it. Remember that time? It was great. Um, but also, you know. We can confidently talk about the bottom line of business with our statistics at Investors Bank. We talk about it all the time about people that are personally developed and what that means to the bottom line of business because there's no denying it. Now, people can say, like we just talked about, well, I don't really have the time. You don't have the time, though, to have your people be better performers. So that's where that conversation starts to get a little um, – muddled for some people where I, where you're pushing back and saying, so what you're saying is you don't have the time to invest in something that I, I know will help your people do better for your company. And then all of a sudden the conversation is like, well, I don't know. Sometimes you got to throw numbers at them. You know, what's you your do. retention rate? What's your you attrition do. rate? What's your turnover rate? And where do you want it to go? Anything over 15%. How much is it really costing you to replace each uh, person? And then you come with the stats. They didn't leave because you because they you, chances are they didn't leave because you didn't pay them well. They probably didn't leave because your benefit package, you know, isn't the strongest. They left because either they weren't feeling appreciated, they were not making friends, um, and the culture was not encouraged there. They could have left because uh, they don't feel they have a voice. So all these all these reasons. But it does start at the top. And if they're not willing to go through classes themselves, Raphael, I don't see anything wrong with that. But just promote it for your people. At least promote it for your people. But it starts at the top. They got, I, they got to be know. willing to, to be coached. I, well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, I was humbled by being with 90 of our, our top executives in that room, talking with them and hearing what they're going through and listening to that. I thought that was amazing. And it was so transformative, you know, so I know the power of that. And you want to bottle that up, Raphael, and you want to just present it to other <laughs> companies. <laughs> so I don't have, I'm sorry. Did you guys record it? No, uh, some of it we did. Some of it, we, some of it, some of the presentations we did, you know, I had never seen some of these executives present. Um, but I know that that isn't the exact answer. I'm sure I didn't really hit the nail on the head because it is kind of an elusive answer. How do we, get people to understand the importance of this. All we can do is keep driving it home to them, talk about, talking about the numbers, and asking people where they want to go and how they think they're going to get their people there. Because if you think you're going to get there doing the same thing you've always done, you're going to get what you've always got. Absolutely. Um, and it's interesting, we, we're talking about decision makers also or you know executive level position. I recently had a, um, a sales call where it was done through an introduction by a mutual contact uh, who happens to be their either CFO or something like with accounting. 
And uh, like, oh, we mentioned your name. We, we know your work, this and that, right? Uh, why don't you go in and speak with them? Because they're looking for um, an increase of production from their service department. And mind you, this is about 1,500 employees across 12 locations, uh, Philly, Jersey, uh, New York City, okay? So I go on a sales call and I go in there, we're sitting at the conference room and uh, there, I forget who, what her title was, but uh, director of operations, okay? So she reports directly to one of the partners, the founding partners. And she has this stack of uh, binders or something in there. And one of them, I actually see the name of the company on top of it. So when she told me that, well, before you, we interviewed other consulting companies, one of them actually serviced Coca-Cola. And I'm like, wow, that's impressive. You know, I'm like, okay, so what are we doing here? <laughs> and they're asking me like, well, we need to improve the service. I'm not going to mention the name of the company. Um, I'm like, okay, great. Now here's the thing. I've been a customer of theirs for 11 years. So I can speak as an individual, not as a consultant or a trainer, as an individual who happens to buy things, even to this day, from that store. Okay. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> I, I understand where they're coming from, that the pain that they're sharing. And I'm like, okay. And I only came to the meeting with three questions. I didn't have anything else. So now these people are sitting there trying to fix their customer service, how to sell more to a customer, right? And I'm like, that's fine. Every business is in business to sell more, provided that you're doing it correctly and you could provide enough value for what that person is paying, right? Or more value. Sure. And after all of these questions, I'm like sitting there, I'm like, that's not the real issue here. I'm like, can I ask you a question? I'm like, they're like, sure. I'm like, question number one, um, what's your turnover rate? They're like, um, over 60%. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, okay, duly noted. I write that down. And I'm like, what does your training look like right now? Right, because it does come down to professional development and then, mm -hmm. which is, in my opinion, personal development as well. Without that, Absolutely. you can't retain them long enough to say, you know what, my retention rate is high. And they're like, well, we our training system is virtually non-existent because either they get trained by a local manager here or they get trained in, uh, like, whoever's getting hired in Jersey, they get trained over there. Oh, That's erratic. And I found the root of the problem through their answers, and the root of the problem was inside of the HR department as far as how they're bringing people on board. I mean, do you have your core values? Do you have your mission statement? Do your people that are bring, being hired, I don't care whether it's for janitorial services or for management position, do they understand what they're being recruited into? Or is just a position, do this, do that, here's your two-day training, and here's a paycheck at the end of two weeks. Oh. Like, yeah, the latter. So I'm like, okay, so basically what we're coming down to, I'm like, you don't need my sales training or customer service training. You need a cultural development training. And one of them looks at me, they're like, nobody before you said that before. I'm like, well, probably everybody just wanted a contract from you and lock you in. <laughs> I'm telling you exactly what you don't want to hear, but it's the truth. I'm like, because you cannot hire, I'm like, your money will be wasted either with me or with mm -hmm. another company if you're suffering an over 60% turnover rate. Yeah, I mean, you're training, you're, you're training people in sales for what you think you know, is a sales issue. 60% of turnover, you can't even train the people as fast as they're leaving. 
but you don't have the infrastructure to support a sales culture exactly. right now, right? Exactly. I mean, if you don't even know what, <sighs> that is not the first, I'm, I'm sure that is not the first time you have or are going to run into that, right? Where people are so, they're looking out ahead and they're not quite still looking back at behind them to make sure that number one, everybody's with them and that are, that their infrastructure can hold that and support exactly. that um, because- so Okay, good. Because sales, that, that sales, um, it usually trumps a lot of the mindset, right? Yes. Sales, 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 you know. Um, but, <laughs> but that is, um, that's really interesting. And it's interesting, I'm sure you made such an impression, Raphael, talking to them about a real issue that they need solved and really giving them real ideas, not just, oh, you know, I'll give you. So the director of operation knew that was the case. But she was carrying out the meeting according to what was instructed to her. Uh -huh. So that exposure, that transparency that came up at that meeting got me the second uh, sales call. And then the third one, which it was with the decision maker himself. And, and he was, you know, when I went to see him and he's like, you know what? He's like, nobody actually made it through to see me before oh my god i'm like whatever i'm like yeah you know it's a, if it's a compliment or if it's an ego boost whatever it is <laughs> i'll take it right? but, and he's, he's sitting there he's a very intellectual guy you could see the the books that he reads behind him okay he this mm. guy knows you don't build such a big empire with 1500 employees from scratch as an immigrant you know if you don't know what you're doing yeah and here so he knew exactly what needed to happen and he actually said it himself he's like you're probably going to start with me Wow. So he's a smart guy. So sharp refreshing. guy. Yes. But here's what he also said, and this is exactly why I didn't get the contract. And I'm glad I didn't. He said, well, when I shared with him, I'm like, listen, I've been a client of yours, customer of yours for 11 years. So I know exactly how your operation goes from a service standpoint, right? Uh, I'm like, but you're in a small niche servicing a, uh, a certain demographic. If you're looking to expand, I'm like, my advice would be to study the best in your industry, which is, would be Trader Joe. Okay? Mm -hmm. It's not Whole Foods, it's Trader Joe, because if you study their culture, you will understand exactly what I'm talking about as far as retail and the food industry. He's like, yeah, we're aware. He's like, I actually was looking um, through their history as well. I'm like, so if you're looking to expand, you will need to fix that before you do any customer service training. Mm -hmm. And this is what he said to me. He's like, I am aware. The only problem is, he's like, I'm afraid to touch it. Because if I, if he's like, you and I both know, he's like, if we do do this, there's a good chance I'm going to lose 90% of my upper management. Wow. He said that. As soon as he said that, I knew right away, this is not a customer that I want to work with, at least mm -hmm. not yet, because they need to ha get their stuff together before they bring in anybody from outside. Wow. And so they really need, that's when you look at them and say, you know, do you even know what your culture that you're trying to align the, people the, is? The, no. And they'll say, no, I have no idea. And you think to yourself, if if shaking up and, and promoting change in the company is going to cause you to lose 90% of your management and you have to operate out of fear, you're going to be chasing your tail for the rest of your life. Well, they're already chasing their tail. 
because they cannot hire people fast enough to fill all of their positions, especially with their new location. So they're already chasing their tail. Wow. That, that's, that's a given. And they know that. They're not, you know, ignorant yeah. about it. Wow. So, so that, and so for you, you had to take a step back then. You were. Well, I actually didn't get it. It wasn't me who denied the contract. It was actually them because they thought that mm, he's looking at the big picture. And I sent them the, I sent them two separate proposals. One was a full proposal. The other one was, he called it, you know, he's like, offer me a, a bandaid, like a quick fix while we're working on the big picture. Okay. But I, I sent that in as well. <laughs> right. And uh, I just found out they brought in another consulting company to do exactly what they wanted to from the beginning, which is focus on their people over the counter and work on sales and customer service. Now I know it's a waste of time and money. It's mm. a delusion. Why? Because what's the point of training somebody when they're going to be out of there in about 45 days? Uh, and the loss of, oh my, the losses they incur financially. So I'm like, okay, out. let them go through that process. Let them fall flat on their face. And, you know, if they call me back, that's great. If not, it wasn't meant to be because I'm not going to chase it because the mindset has to change. They need to understand the big picture comes first before they start doing all this stuff, focusing on somebody who's not going to be employed there anymore in 45 days or less. And I totally agree with you about the mindset too. And I think that, that what he said that he didn't want to touch it. I think that is the uh, feeling of many business owners, partly because sometimes culture can seem um, not concrete enough for people. They almost don't know where to begin or what it even means or what it's going to do. Mm -hmm. But as you said, you feel the loss when it's not intact. You might not feel that you can put your finger on it, but we can feel when we're there, that it's not intact. And that is negatively impacting your business. Uh, but for a lot of business owners, that's kind of, it's kind of scary because like, you know, taking a moment to focus on that automatically means I'm not focusing on sales and paying my bills and keeping the lights on. And I, for many business owners, they can't fathom that. They're not in that space, right? To take that, right. that leap in their eyes. Unfortunately, they don't have their you know fingers on a pulse. And it's interesting you just said something exactly what I said in one of my um, chapters in the training program that we're hoping, knock on wood, but we got to finish soon. Uh, and something I say there is you can't measure the ROI immediately, but you could definitely feel it and hear it among your employees, your team members on the floor. People talk about culture, whether you're there as their employer uh, or not, uh, whether they're in the workspace or outside or, you know, during a happy hour, during a networking event, they talk about culture, right? They're either going to talk about a toxic culture or a good, mm -hmm. great culture, but people are going to talk. And the best referral source for employment is coming, would come from your own team members that are bringing in their people. And if there, if there's a certain behavior of that individual, which is up to par with your alignment, right, in values, chances are those people hang out with people of similar values. They want to talk to each other about that, right? Exactly. They, the people who are very excited and motivated, they want to be around people that are. And the people that are not want to be around people that are not, unless they're looking to recruit. But, mm -hmm. I mean, if, you, if you're very positive and happy and there's someone who's not, they do not want to be around you. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. People get like, you know, they're like enough, you know, but, and I feel the same way about people who are, I think very, very negative. You're kind of like, Oh, I mean, let me, let me try and bring you up in my boat, you know, but that's why I think the word influence is so important, right? 
who are your influencers in your business because they are the ones mobilizing action and thought. And it's not always the people with the titles. Some of your That's biggest right. influencers are <clears throat> possibly legacy employees um, or employees that are disgruntled. Uh, we hope it's the employees that are very happy and you know see the glass um, half full, but you know, Mark Sanborn's book, you don't need a title to be a leader. You also don't need a title to be an influencer. You really don't. And it's important, I think, for business owners to know who those people are to either keep them positively influencing or step in and have those coaching sessions about the negative influence they may be having while working on their own influence as a leader, right? Exactly. So what type of, uh, what's the guy's name you said, Mark? Mark Sanborn. Okay. Yeah, so he wrote um, The Fred Factor, which is a customer service book. We love that book at Investors Bank. Um, and he also wrote You Don't Need a Title to Be a Leader. And so <clears throat> I take that really seriously because, again, your, your leaders in, in your business, they're emerging every day, right? And, and as a business owner, you can do things to encourage that, like uh, encouraging their development, sending them for training, giving them more, you know, tasks, et cetera. But who holds the influence is a totally different conversation. And I challenge people, anybody listening, to go to work and watch and listen on who the influencers are. You might not, like, it's, it might not something you, be, uh, you might not be paying attention to it all the time, but now you will. See who, who the influencers are. You'll pick them right out. And, um, See see what they're doing to mobilize thought and action in your business. Absolutely. So what type of um, books? You mentioned you have a book club for your team members. Yes. Right? So what type of books do you guys have them read? Uh, which are the most popular ones? Definitely The Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker. That okay. is um, Radical Leap is a great book. And the reason I like Radical Leap is because um, – it's a parable based book. So you can really connect with the characters in the book. Happiness advantage is a great book as well. I mean, Sean Aker, his research on happiness is just fantastic. I mean, he's, he's done. Are you familiar with that book? You are right. Rafael? I heard the name, but I haven't read it. So, I, I don't have it, but I definitely heard the oh, name. That means I have to send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, he went to Harvard basically and, and researched, you know, thinking that those students should be the happiest you would think around because they're attending Harvard university and he found that they were not. And so he started studying happiness and why we're happy and what makes us happy and how does it impact our job and our life? So happiness advantage is a great book. Um, like I said, radical leap, um, the four agreements we'll use with, um, a more advanced department, a department that's already kind of opened up using a book club. You don't want to hit them over the head with that right away. Cause that gets kind of deep. <laughs> Are, isn't that a simple book? I mean, it's very, it's it very is. and it's it's very personal development. It right? is well, that and that's why you know. So you start off with like a happiness advantage, where you're talking about happiness. You may move into um, a book like Radical Leap, but then when you start opening up um, a book like The Four Agreements, and you have people sharing in a book club, it is transformational. And something I learned in in leading book clubs is that even people who don't like the book club. I'm learning from that. I'm learning you don't like to share at work. And as, as a, um, I've had a couple of managers say to me, oh my gosh, this was really huge for me to know. I can't prod this person. 
you know, like I, I keep trying to dig in and prod them. They don't like that. They don't want to be called on at a meeting. I remember I called on somebody in the book club to share and she was wild after and she was yelling at me and don't ever, don't you ever call on me again. And I said, I absolutely will not. This was so helpful. Thank you. Because the whole department was like, oh my goodness, this made her really uncomfortable. It must make her uncomfortable when we're at meetings and we're calling on her in meetings to share. So she was someone that I said, when you're ready to share, if you have something to share, throw a hand up. You know, she was an observer. But so um, we try to, I mean, I try to encourage books that are not only um, positive, but that are easy not easy in terms of intellect, but easy to, to discuss. You know, we're not going to read Think and Grow Rich, <laughs> the department. And, you know, have you read it? I have. Okay. I have. And, um, you know, that's a tough book to get through. It is a great book as a mastermind group, but as a, as a departmental book club, you know, that's. that's what about, heavy. talk about uh, as far as the department goes and depending on the position maybe um, or the level of participation in the company. What about books on personality types, uh, cognitive biases, stuff like that? Do you um, encourage those kind of books or no? Well, um, we haven't. I haven't del done any delving into those kind of books. I do a lot of personality uh, type style work with departments. Like I'll go in and I'll do the disc, or I'll do some sort of personality assessment. So do you teach that? Oh, you do yourself, but do you? I know. I go into departments and I. I disc them. The disc is the one I usually use. Right. And then I go in and teach them about the results and what it, what it means to their department and how they interact. And you basically see all the heads explode. It's a, it's great. It's great. But do you teach management this formula, for example, how, so they can better deal with other people in the workplace? So in our, in our, um, in the class that, um, Dennis and I co-taught for our executives, we did, we had them disc, their departments bring the results and then we went through a whole class step by step on you know what are you how are you interacting with the dominant how are you interacting you know with your why are your conscientious taking so long to do their work it's who they are you know they have to make a list to make a list to make a list so um that was really really uh helpful to a lot and it opened up eyes opened up it opens up your eyes to who you are and how you operate and and um it also opened their eyes to be more tolerant of, of behaviors and how to get the best out of their people. Mm -hmm. You know, if I know you're a dominant influencer, you know, you want to schmooze, but you need the bottom line. So how can we marry that together and get you uh, going, especially for sales? You know, uh, when we saw that so many of our influencers are sales, you know, that was expected. But what are we coupling with that? Were they steady or were they dominant? To where they might get impatient if, if the sale isn't coming so so all that was yes yeah, so we taught our leaders how to um carry on that conversation be mindful of that that's awesome yeah it's fun and um but by the way if, if you're listening to this and you're like what the heck is a disc personality whatever <laughs> um the disc uh it's a disc uh basic formula for four basic personality types it was um after research whatever you study and learn a basic understanding of um personality through your college textbook which is 16 basic personality types uh forget who the author is who came up with the disc formula uh it was written like in the 70s i think mm -hmm. uh 72 if i'm not mistaken and uh they compiled these 16 personality types into four basic ones these for dominant i is for the influencer or the life of the party type of a person <laughs> generally speaking 
The S is a, um, you know, the loving hug a tree personality that just wants to love everybody, makes friends with everybody very easily. And the C is somebody who's very analytical. They make a plan to make a plan before they execute, <laughs> then they make a plan again. And it's a paralysis by overanalysis. This is <laughs> generally speaking. Uh, but the goal, what I've learned, because I've studied personality types for many years, and I took a test multiple times a year, every single year, because the goal is to even yourself out. Mm -hmm. you, you, you have to be aware of your weakness. Yes. You don't focus on it, right? But through the personal and professional development, the goal is to even yourself out between all four quadrants so you can better cope and work and live with other personality types. Absolutely. And learn what, you know, there's qualities of other people that you kind of want to snatch from them and you want to embody them, you know, like those people that make lists on top of lists on top of lists. I mean, I don't think I've made a list to go to the grocery store in 10 years. And I could totally, I could benefit from that. And, and as soon as I saw my column on the disc, I was like, yep, that makes sense. But um, that has been, not, not only has that been informative, Raphael, it's been fun. I mean, I'll do activities. We did an activity with a disc where I said to them, once they were in, I put them in their, their groups. I didn't know they were in their personality type groups. I just knew they, I assessed and then I grouped them. And I said, let's go car shopping. Tell me the top three things you need to know about a car. You want to know when you're at the car, right? So our dominant personalities are a little stronger, a little more aggressive. They were like, I want to know how fast it goes. I want to know what the sunroof is like. And I want to know if it has a Bose speaker. And then as opposed to the conscientious side who are, like you said, more analytical and kind of more uh, thought out, we're like, well, what's the gas mileage? And, you know, um, how safe is it? And what's the warranty? And so the dominant people were like, what's the warranty? I don't care. And the conscientious people were like, who cares about the sound? But when you saw the fact that you expect, we expect these personalities to work so well together every day, you could see how that could interrupt a culture if you're not aware of what is making your people tick and what's making them successful. So I recommend the disc assessment. That's my shameless plug. I love it. I've <laughs> been using awesome. it for a while. Absolutely love it. So let me ask you another question. You um, mentioned the other two books, right? The Happiness Advantage and Radical Lead. So let's say I'm a business owner and um, I'm trying to embrace the idea of personal development and this whole culture development nonsense, <laughs> right? And I'm quoting them, obviously. Yes. Um, like, okay. And this book club, I like the idea of it because I like to read, but I don't know if my employees should be engaged in personal development and thought-provoking books because if I give them a book, like the happiness advantage and she she reads it and she says holy crap i'm in the wrong profession <laughs> and sure. she leaves me, and she leaves me yeah right and that's the scarcity mentality where that joke is what the cfo says you know what happens if we train our people and they leave us and the ceo says what if we don't and they stay right, right. right? so uh, how do you how do you handle that and what what advice would you give <laughs> to a decision maker of well my employees shouldn't read that because what if they read enough and they leave? I think that's a, that's a great point. And I think from a leadership standpoint, you know, as a leader, it's your job to grow people. And I mean, even John Maxwell talks about it, you know, as a, as a, especially as a servant leader, you are in that role to grow your people and bring them along with you. And sometimes that means growing them and they do leave you. And that is kudos to you because you've given them enough wings and enough confidence and enough training that perhaps there isn't an opportunity for them there. But here's the best part. While they're reading and they're learning with you in the book club, you're getting the best out of them. 
Absolutely. And if your culture is strong, and, and by, by the way, having a book club is showing your people that you care. Mm-hmm. If you have those people that are on the fence, I don't know if I love it here, I don't know if I'll stay, put them in a book club and ask them how they, what they think and what they feel. I'm going to turn their attitude right, right around. Or and not. It, or not. And if not, that means they don't belong there to begin with. Well, and that's it. Simon Sinek said it himself. I mean, if you're there for a year and you don't feel like you fit into the culture, you may not. Right. You just may not. So, but I think, I think you're right. I think that scarcity mentality is what if they go, what if they stay and they're the best they've been and it's kudos to you? What if it takes them a year and they decide they're going to go? Okay. But in that, in that book club, you are getting a clear understanding of who they are, what they want. You're building a cohesive team. And those are the things that keep your people. And that though, right, Raphael goes with the understanding of what keeps people engaged in their job. It's, it's so much more than the comp and the benefit and all that. So, Absolutely. Um, I, I love a quote by uh, Richard Branson. I mean, this guy built a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar empire. Mm-hmm. He said, um, train your people so they can leave you, but treat them so they wouldn't want to. Absolutely. You know, there's people, and I think in everyday business, that, that can, would consider, oh, I'm so overqualified and I could leave any time. Well, okay, that, that may be true, but what's keeping you here? Is it really fear of not getting another job or are you staying because you're happy, because you're treated well and because your, your work is acknowledged? You know, those are the things that were, that's the lo- that loyalty factor that, you know, I think every business person is looking for because once they are engaged with your company, when they're going out and selling, they're, they're finding their why. It's more than paying their bills. They're tied into the success of the company. It, it makes sense to them to want to do more for you. That's awesome. I have very specific questions when it comes to culture development, mm-hmm. but I know we're just about at an hour. Oh, I talk um, too much. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. This is great stuff. And uh, But I would love to have you back for another episode uh, down the road. To I would love to come back. Specific questions for culture development, you know, employee development, personal development, things like that. Like very, very specific questions as far as similar to what we've discussed uh, during the panel as well. You got it. I would yeah. love to come back. This is awesome. great. So let me ask you one last question. Okay. How do you see or what does the word influence mean to you? That's a great question. Um, so I, I used the word mobilize before. That's, that's what I think about when I think about influence. Influence is, is mobilizing people into thought and into action. Um, and whether that means mobilizing one or two, or that means mobilizing 2000, that to me is, is what it is, is, you know, what, what can I do to get people moving in a direction or acting in a certain way, positive or negative. And obviously I want it to be positive. How can I increase my influence? I have to get better. I have, you have to get better. So it's evolving, but that's what it is. It's mobilization for me of action and thought. But you have to get better in order to be better of uh, to be of, of better influence. Law of the lid. That's it. Law of the lid. You you have to get better. You have to John Maxwell have to lift that leadership lid if you want to be more influential. And that's that's what I don't. I, I think some people may rest on their laurels when say they get to a certain point that I've gotten here. I must be doing something right. And you're probably right. You've probably done something right to get there. Um, but how can you increase your sphere of influence? You have to get better. You have to read. You have to practice. You have to get out and get educated, um, especially when, 
you know, there's new generations coming up every day that, that require more and require different. So, but that's what influence for me is mobilizing. I love it. That's awesome. Courtney, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate the, the, the knowledge <laughs> thank and you for uh, having me. the experience and everything you're doing uh, for your team of 2000 there and probably more. Uh, do I need to be worried of Courtney launching her own culture development business? <laughs> not, not at this time, but I will tell you, this is, it's a, bit, it's a blessing for me to do it at Investors Bank. And like I said, it, anything to encourage other businesses to not only work with consultants like you, but focus on this because as technology, as technology starts to creep in, we need to combat that with the soft, with the softer, more personal development side. So um, I'm happy to, I'm happy to be building up Investors Bank right now and, and, staying on their on their team and holding tight with them but i'm also so happy to be having these conversations with you this is this is great awesome i'm feeling this mutual great courtney thank you so much thank you take care all right thank you for listening to this podcast i appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in and if you haven't subscribed to this podcast already please show us your support by subscribing and leaving a positive review to help us advance on the chart you can always connect with me on social media by searching for Rafael Mavi at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. If you have any questions or just want to drop a line, the fastest way to get a hold of me is through my Instagram. Until next time.